Howdy, and welcome to the Three True Outcomes podcast, presented by Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ian Lefkowitz, and joining me, as always, from suburban Michigan, it is Ben Murphy. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ian. How are you? Uh, I, I, I'm doing well. I'm ready to start with some weather banter. Is it freezing cold where you are? It is freezing cold where I am. Is that it freezing is am- cold where you are? That is amazing. It is the first snow of the season. It is March. Climate change now. Action. <laughs> <laughs> down with the proletariat anyway we'll, we'll save that for we'll save that for our chapo trap house podcast later um meanwhile joining us from our nation's capital it is jared wise jared how are you doing i'm finally over my cold I'm very excited that is <laughs> we already we already did the weather banter. <laughs> it's freezing cold here too though okay great to hear um so yeah we are coming to you live on a weekend because schedules are for wimps um and uh, this is the first of what could be several podcasts. We, we never know. Things are quiet in the air. But we are actively in the middle of draft season. Um, and we, uh, we are one week away from seeing each other for a draft. What? Ooh. Right. Which You guys are real definitely... people? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it definitely raises the odds that we will have a podcast. Actually, does it? I don't know if you know how to record that. The problem, so the problem is that we're not going to be at my house, so I'm not going to have all of this stuff, and uh, we're not going to be at Jared's place, uh, so he's not going to have any of his stuff. And I can bring it, I guess. It's not like I Ian's can... like the technological powerhouse of the trio of us. I, don't... I like words. <laughs> you have a computer and you pay for internet service. That's pretty respectable. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, a lot of we're going to have a journey discovery next week uh, and, a, and a six hour long draft. So six, huh? That's ambitious. Over. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Eight and a half is uh, where the line starts. And then as bets come in, it shifts up. You know, some people wonder, like, hey, um, are you drafting every day? I, I do get this question from people who are, you know, tangentially related to score sheet. And they ask, like, did your draft happen? And it's like, no, you don't understand. It's like happening. <laughs> it's like an ongoing, slow-moving process, like a tectonic plate shift, right? It just, like, slowly happens throughout the month. And it's like, did your league draft? And it's like, well, no, because it's not a league. It's, like, six and maybe seven if you count the fictional one. Um, and, yeah, it's really hard. And then the reason why these drafts take so long is because if you do them for one day it takes eight hours and you lose your mind (laughs) everyone loses their mind so um yeah so that is uh we've drafted all the ways so you know it's been a been an interesting uh journey of discovery for us throughout the years and um i think we did have a previous descent into madness in our archives um and we may try to do that again but that's the future this is this podcast um which will probably be a little bit more brief except for uh the time i'm filling right now uh i do want to kick it over uh before we move ahead and talk about the news of the week uh to our mailbag captain because uh it turns out we have some uh old questions in the old mailbag right we do yeah. Oh, the way I like it. <laughs> but you can always send more. Score sheet at baseballperspectus.com. Um, the first question comes from Brian, who gave us lots of context that we really value and appreciate and are going to throw out the window <laughs> and boiling it down to uh, Jesus Aguilar, Luke Voigt, or Aaron Hicks. Who do you like? Are any of them keepers? <laughs> we, we boil questions down to their essence here. <laughs> Um, and yes, it was like 300 words, which is very sweet. And I, I wish I had better reading comprehension. Um, so I think the possibility is that they, he can trade Jesus Aguilar for Aaron Hicks, uh, I think, right? Yeah. And um, personally, I would do that. I think Aaron Hicks is measurably better than both of them. I, I do, at least to a degree, believe in Luke Voigt. And to a degree, I believe in Jesus Aguilar as well. I think they'll be fine, but just, you know, in general, the way we build our teams, even fine first basemen are, for us, kind of a luxury, unless the price is absolutely right. (laughs) That, um, 
you know, because it's especially so there is like a cosmic thing, right? And it again, I'm going to turn um, a question about uh, Jesus Aguilar, Luke Boyd, or Aaron Hicks into the state of score sheet today, but. <laughs> Um, there is this cosmic thing where the way baseball is being played now with fewer and fewer position players, fewer backups, more players doing multi-position, which is harder to account for in a score sheet. Um, if a player goes down, it's harder to replace them than before, than it was 10 years ago, than it, certainly than it was 20 years ago, um, and harder to replace two or three starts a week. So, you know, I think first baseman, especially in... Um, especially in NL leagues, but I think to a degree in AL and BL leagues can be replaced a little bit more easily. It's kind of why I've always been, um, like, while I understand the principles of the, you know, the DH making uh, corner bats a little more valuable in um, BL leagues, I think we still tend to avoid um, splurging on corner bats. You're talking about the so, three of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think uh, with all this talk of the DH coming into the NL, which I'm starting to believe is going to happen in the next three years, uh, I think it'll further devalue corner bats in BL formats. Um, just because the, you know, I guess the pressure to get one will be lessened. So I, I think, you know, for now and for later, Aaron Hicks is kind of the better value. And I think we we would always try to move up the defensive spectrum if given equivalent talent. Two follow-up questions. Yeah. Has Greg Bird been erased from history? Who? And, <laughs> um, and does this um, necessarily conflict? Because I think normally our advice is don't worry as much about playing time right now because talent will eventually find its way. Um does that conflict at all with what we're saying here? Um, in what in what sense? So first, uh, you mean in terms of Greg Bird versus Luke Voigt? Yeah, or any of these guys. Like, is is playing time a consideration in this um, in this decision? Uh, I don't believe so. I believe all of these guys have pretty regular uh, playing time ahead of them. Probably Voigt the most cloudy, just because he'll probably end up in a platoon with Greg Bird. Who? <laughs> so it's a good joke because we recommend him for years on this very podcast. <laughs> Look, if a guy gets hurt three years in a row, what are what are we supposed to do? You know, sometimes they, sometimes you recommend somebody and they tear their shoulder off in a thresher accident. What are what are we able to do? Um, n no, you know, I think Aaron Hicks has uh, probably pretty much locked up playing time in center for the next few years in Yankee Stadium. So I think he has the best path at playing time. So I think that, if anything, that would just reinforce in this case. Cool. Um, shall we move on to the next one? Um, yeah. Any, anything else to add from you guys? Or Yeah, go ahead. Cool. Um, the next one is from, next and final one's from Matt, who... Um, Again, gave us lots of lovely context, and I'll try to boil it down to its essence. Um, I think Matt is looking for an outfielder and canvassed the league and got the following proposals and is curious if any of them are ones you'd say yes to. So one is um, Renfro for Merrifield. The second is um, trading away Odor and getting either Ozuna, Pham, or Schwarber. And the third one is again trading Leo Dor and getting AJ Pollock. Mm -hmm. So if you were looking for an outfielder, are any of those uh, trades sound good? Do any of those trades sound good? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think we mentioned it last week and would mention it again. I do think moving Rugnet Odor is makes some sense. Uh, I well, you know, it's Rugnet Odor is interesting because I I believe. Um, and uh, one of us could check this, you know, if we had access to the computer right now, um, that Rugnet Odor's defense kind of perked back up in score sheet. That for a long time he had been kind of a millstone defensively, and he's trended a little bit more towards average. And offensively, he actually uh, got a little feisty in the second half of last year 
which is amazing because the first half of last year sucked. <laughs> He's slightly above average defensively. 4.28 yeah. average is 4.25. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think he has turned himself back into a um, back into a baseball player. I would probably still trade him or look to trade him if we're um, being honest for something that I feel is a little more reliable. And obviously, um, you know, I too, just as last week, uh, I remain, uh, as always, a big fam. So I, I would certainly consider Tommy Fam. I would also consider Marcelo Zuna, depending on the price. It doesn't really seem like consider... Fam is reliable, though, right? Um, no. I mean, that's some of the risk, right? Okay. Like, that's why he's available in all of these things, that he is often injured and he's older. Um. And, you know, that's why he's not like, you know, Mike Trout or Bryce Harper. Like, he's not, you know, definitely, like, some of the lack of reliability is what harms him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I think in this case, I think he'd be a player I would target. I think A.J. Pollock seems totally reasonable as well. Um, I, I do think... Um, he, he mentions trading, potentially trading uh, with Merrifield for Hunter Renfro. I, I guess I don't understand the Hunter Renfro bandwagon. Uh, to me, it strikes me as a guy with a lot of power, no defense. Um, like the upside is what Chris Davis uh, with like without playing time. I think Renfro is about to get passed by like 40 outfielders in the Padre system. Which is fine. Like, I think he'll get traded somewhere. But um, I, I I, don't think he is quite the long-term play that this question is setting up, if that makes sense. I agree. I think Merrifield, as, as Matt points out, it's a guy who's going to be more highly rated in a lot of Roto resources. Yeah. So if you can find some owner who tends to be looking at those kind of guides, there might be an opportunity for a trade there, but I'm not sure Renfro is necessarily the guy to do it for. Yeah. Uh, totally agreed. Hmm. All right. Cool. Those are the questions. You can send more to score sheet at baseball Close out that mailbag. And, uh, since we're getting to the keeper draft, um, time period if there are urgent requests or you have a certain deadline please let us know yeah we we can answer off air a little faster than we can answer on air (laughs) so (laughs) ideally (laughs) um but in the meantime uh so has anything happened in baseball this week it was very shocking yeah to have actual uh baseball related news hot on the heels of other actual baseball related news uh, last week we talked about Manny Machado signing with uh, the San Diego Padres, and this way, uh, again, the like slow motion collision of Bryce Harper and the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, finally, um, fi- the train finally docks in the station, I guess, for that one. Um, so I guess by this point you have heard like the takes from fans and the takes from analysts. And it takes from like smart people who know what they're talking about. So why don't we get our takes here first, <laughs> just to complete that, cover that set. Um, again, uh, as our DC correspondent, uh, Jared, um, emotionally, what is it like? Um, it's kind of fascinating, uh, especially just from you know anecdotal evidence from talking to people in the office. One thing was having to explain the concept of deferred money and why it's not the same as money you get right now. That was, that was. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. If like if you understand baseball contracts, it ever makes sense. But like to someone who's just a casual baseball fan is like, well, I don't understand. The Nats also offered about three hundred million dollars, and sure, he would get it. You know, forty years from now. But what difference does that make? Um, it was kind of is fascinating to have to explain that to people. Right. I think the. Uh, the more hardcore Nats fans are sort of more of the, they had expected uh, Harper to be going anyway, so they're sort of taking the stance of, uh, good riddance, we didn't need him, our outfield's going to be good, Philly sucks, we hate him. And then they start turning to, well, he's going to be miserable in Philly because everybody's miserable in Philly, and what's going to happen the first time they turn on him? Um, so there's a little, I don't know, defensiveness and 
trying not to care, I think, among Nats fans. It's going to be interesting the first time he comes. Um, I had a couple people as soon as Harper. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The news broke. We're talking about going to the first game that Harper's going to be there getting right field tickets and. You know, wanting to be there. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it, it's good for the DC Philly kind of rivalry. I'm thinking, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Um, uh, I, I will say, like, booing Bryce Harper is one of the weirder things that, yeah. uh, you know, the, I, you know, for me, like, home fans booing a player who leaves your team is always, like, crazy to me. Uh, I was reading uh, last week that, um, uh, about uh, John Tavares left yeah. the Islanders for the Leaves uh, and got destroyed at beautiful NASA Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Um, <laughs> What's that and where is that? Oh, God. It is NASA Coliseum is like, you know, because I, like, I didn't grow up in rural, in a rural area, but I feel like the closest I can come to like understanding what it's like to grow up in rural areas that I went to NASA Coliseum as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) It is like the home of your 4-H fair, but, uh, you know, occasionally a hockey team plays there too. It is, um, the best way I can explain NASA Coliseum. I have, uh, two stories about NASA Coliseum, which is, you know, a tangent, but I guess we're, (laughs) We're just gonna go. This that's way. how we roll. Yeah. That's how we roll. We'll get back to Bryce Harper. I promise. I have two stories about NASA Coliseum. Yeah, I have Bryce number Harper one, thoughts. So. Number one, the New York Islanders had cheerleaders growing up. Uh, as you may know, hockey teams not known for their. Cheerleaders. <laughs> uh, fun fact: the cheerleaders sponsored by Hooters. Um, number two. It's not a good look. No. no <laughs> Just, just want to calibrate the feeling of being at NASA Coliseum. Number two, uh, I vividly remember a game where um, at the end of the first period, uh, the New York Islanders got a uh, musical guest to perform uh, between the first and second period, and they booked Katrina and the Waves. Ooh. And Katrina and the Waves came out and played Walking on Sunshine um, between the first and second period. And, you know, that is, for Nassau County, Long Island, that's pretty rocking. Um, And then it was the end of the second period, and they brought out Katrina and the Waves, and they played Walking on Sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other goal. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So so you just look to your right instead of to your left. (laughs) <laughs> and to me that sums up the nasa Coliseum. <laughs> um yeah but it was bizarre to me that, like he was your best player like you know he didn't he, he didn't like murder your family he just left for his hometown anyway uh bryce did not so but just don't boo him come on that's petty uh so ben sorry bryce harper thought yeah um <clears throat> i mean 13 years is a really long time. Yeah. I, It's funny because I remember sitting here the last time we talked about Machado's deal and people were you know, complaining about how none of these long-term deals ever work out. And I sort of hearkened to the A-Rod deal and some of the other ones that have been similarly long that like actually did work out. And everybody sort of likes to say that they didn't. You know, it was like A-Rod was well worth the money that he was paid on that deal. Um, and then I was thinking about like the Harper deal at 13 years. I was like... You know, he's going to be almost 40 years old at that point. Uh, and I am also almost 40 years old. And so I sort of identify with uh, thinking about what that yeah. might feel like. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a long time. I think I think it's m- more interesting to talk about the decision that Harper and to some extent Boris made about uh, some of the other offers that we heard that were floated. 
that were for a higher annual value but for a shorter duration. Um, and we can use that to segue into a different discussion in a few minutes. But before then, I wanted to sort of comment and sort of echo something that I've heard Joe Sheehan say and other smart people, I guess. Um, they're like, it's crazy to me that people get mad at the players ever for any of this when like the owners are the ones that are making, or, you know, like the GMs as their proxy, the decision on who gets the money and how much money they get. Uh, and the players are just sort of saying like, I want to make a living playing a sport, uh, which sounds like a good deal to any of us probably. Um, <clears throat> yeah. and the fans are like more jealous of the player for having that option than they are, uh, maybe um, willing to apply any sort of scrutiny to the owners or anything like that. So it's like this weird thing where, you know, like Nats fans get mad at Bryce Harper instead of at the learners. Is that right? Um, yeah. Like, you what know, or right like, does Mark Lerner have to that money? Well, and like, like he ever done. Yeah. Well, and what, why would the fans be mad at Harper for taking the deal that he liked the best? Right. Like, like if, if you're a Nats fan and you wish that Harper would have stayed, there's no reason to get mad at Harper about it, really, I don't think. Uh, but with Lerner, if you feel like, you know, he had it within his control to make a different offer, a better offer, or whatever. Uh, and even if he offered more money or more years or whatever and Harper still picked the Phillies or, uh, you know, playing baseball on Mars or whatever, like, that's... That's never something that I understand fans begrudging the player about. It's it's weird to me. Um, it's like if any of us got an offer tomorrow to like make hundreds of millions of dollars, and we had to sign up to do something for thirteen years that we thought was really fun, we would say no. Like what? I don't know. It's really strange to me. Um, Even if that concept is going to Philadelphia. We but were talking like, about in the office. How much more would you have to get paid in order to live in Philly? And it's a definite premium. I don't think I don't. Well, <laughs> that's like some DC snobbery. I don't think Philly's that also New York terrible. Snobbery. <laughs> it's not that terrible. But like, I mean, he's from Las Vegas, right? As much as anybody yeah. can be from Las Vegas, like, uh, it's not like Philly is home for him necessarily. But if that's where he wants to, like, play most of his baseball games, I don't see why. He shouldn't. I don't see why any of us should get frustrated at him for making that choice. I don't, that's very strange to me. Well, I mean, I, I agree with that, and I think deep down, maybe most people agree on some level. But I would argue that a lot of fans are rooting for their team in a way that you don't root for a team, and I think it's a different. In some sense, you're by you're rooting for Harvey Spent. You invested all this time and energy, and like the Nets or whatever team is is your team, and you want to root for them. And in some sense, Harper's saying, "Yeah, I'd want to go somewhere else," and that. Obviously, it's not a direct insult at you, but in, in some way, that's how it feels. Yeah, but then if somebody breaks up with you, do you always just get really angry with them? Or do you like wonder, like, oh, maybe there's something about me that they didn't like? Or maybe oh, we just weren't a good <laughs> fit, you know? <laughs> yeah, but... Turns into love line. <laughs> no, like... There's a difference between rooting for a team and, like, in, in a relationship, I think. It... Uh, Maybe, but... I thought you were the one drawing that analogy. It's, I mean, it's not a perfect analogy. Well, you're trying to depict the fans as, like, feeling scorned over Harper's desire to be somewhere else, right? Yeah, on some level. And so you think the fans, like, identify with the owner because the owner is the representation of the team and the fans feel loyalty to the team instead of the players? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think for a lot of fans, I mean, especially ones who aren't listening to, say, Baseball Perspectives podcast, you know, yeah, Mark, the learners are just the, the Nats, right? And and I understand for us it's a little silly, but for them the Nats are just this entity that the learners happen to control whatever. <laughs> but that's such a, like, mischaracterization of reality. Like, they own the team, right? It's like... Yeah, but who said fandom had to be rooted in reality? I think for a lot of people, it's an escape from reality. They don't want to have to think about this. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not necessarily defending them, but... I guess... Do you think... Sorry. Do no, you no, think no. any of the... Um, like, I, and I would say, like, almost cavalier attitude 
a whiskey cavalier attitude, perhaps, of um, <laughs> on some network this week. Uh, of Nats fans towards Bryce Harper leaving. Do you think any of it is because Juan Soto broke out and plays right field? And they were like, well, okay. I think, I mean, yeah, I think at some small level, for some reason, my sense, and I can't back this up with any numbers or anything, I don't think Nats fans cottoned to Harper in the way that you would have expected them to, mm-hmm. given that he was a superstar and young and playing really good. And and for whatever reason, it, the I don't think Nats fans have a collective identity yet, And but whatever that embryonic thing is, Harper didn't fit into it. Zimmerman's much more of a Nats kind of guy. Nats kind of guy? What? I'm not saying this definitely doesn't make sense, and I'm not saying yeah. I felt this at all. But but Nats fans as a whole generally, they're they're. I mean, obviously some people Harper was their favorite, no question. Yeah. But it, the sense that I got, there wasn't a lot of people who were highly invested in Harper. I think part of it may have been there was this always underlying feeling that he was going to go probably to the Yankees. So yeah. maybe people had been getting ready for it. But and I'm not saying Harper did nothing in the community. That's not true at all. But I, I think there wasn't a sense that, oh, Harper is going to be our kind of guy and we expect him to be forever. There it's was like just, stealing themselves against the inevitable yeah. disappointment of his departure. I think some of it. And something like Soto helps a lot, no question. Um, yeah, and also, like, they have the joy of listening to F.P. Santangelo 150 <laughs> games a year. And I, I, I feel like that does kind of, you know, play on a fan base. Right, I I hear in New York, Mets fans tend to ape um, the opinions of Keith and Ron, and I I imagine if you have somebody talking about grinderism for a thousand days a year. It's... I was browsing the channels a couple days ago, and the Nets spring training game happened to be on, so I was like, whatever, I'll listen, I'll watch some baseball for a little bit. Thirty seconds after I turn on the channel, <clears throat> Bob Carpenter was throwing it to FP for his thoughts on all the rule changes and do we really need to appeal to kids these days? 30 seconds after I turned on this stupid thing. <laughs> oh, it was brutal. It was okay. So I, I, I was going to get to this topic. Wait, wait, I'm not. Uh, I will get back to it. Okay, uh, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Fire all the announcers. That's no, I mean, you can do your announcer thing now. I just want to no. make sure we come back to the other stuff that Jared was saying. Yeah, let, let's uh, let's continue on this. No, I, as I said, I don't want to ever deny anybody the ability to complain about anything, <laughs> especially on their own podcast. That's what this is, right? Yeah. No, when this... we, we talk, we're, we'll, I'll talk briefly about spring training a little okay. later, and okay. um, we'll get to it then. Sorry, but I, I do want to talk about um, the choice between contracts because I, I do think that's interesting as well. Yeah, I had one more thing, I guess, about the like Go ahead. weird emotional irrationality of it. Uh, and maybe, Jared, like, this is something that you understand better than us, so maybe you can explain it. But what is it that possesses someone to tie so much of their emotional well-being in something so outside of their control and also uh, not necessarily like them in any way? Like, like most of your life there's some part of your happiness this is tied out to like Peter Angelos, but like Peter Angelos is, I would dare say nothing like you. Right. It's just like a happenstance of geography sort of. Well, yeah, it's not Peter. Angelos. It's not Peter Angelos. It's the Orioles. But that's the thing. They're, they're like always going to be inextricably intertwined. Sure. Like, do you think the reason yeah. that the Orioles are w- what they are is do anything other than who Peter Angelus is and the decisions that he makes? I mean, it's a large part due to Peter Angelus, sure. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. But he's the person who happens to own the Orioles right now. He's not the Orioles. They were around before him and they'll be around after him, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. See? Right, what is that? Caveating that appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see how the season goes. I guess. <laughs> I heard Rob Bradford floating relegation. He's like, I'll consider it. I, you know, he's forming a study right now. It's okay. And so you think that's different than, say, like, 
owning stock in a company and thinking of the fate of that company as being tied to its like CEO or owner? Um, yeah, in many ways, because you're not, yeah, I, I think so, because... Fandom is just this... Yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay. I'm probably just wired wrong then. You're not wired wrong. You're wired differently. Yeah, okay, differently. I'm wired wrong to be a a, a fan in the like definition that you use. Because I can't imagine being like... Uh, like I said, sort of like emotionally tied to um, something like that. And I think that's fine. I think it's better in a lot of ways. It's worse in other ways. But yeah, it's different than how fandom has traditionally been viewed, certainly. But yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think that's worse. Well, when people ask me if I'm a fan of a team, I say, no, my friend won't let me call it fandom. <laughs> so for as much as that's worth anything you've changed me from not using that word to define my allegiances for things thanks i think <laughs> i mean well look on the other side uh you could be refreshing your newsfeed looking for articles about cedric mullins the third right now <laughs> so I don't consider that any... the road not taken i don't have any idea who that is <laughs> that's, that's the definition of fandom right there he's the possibly the best player on the O's right now. So. Really? I've never heard of him. Uh, yep. Okay. <laughs> I guess that says stuff about me and about him. Um, that, was, that was what I was wondering about. Um, but I think it's probably more interesting for us and everybody else if we talk about how you compare the different contract offerings and stuff now, Ian, if you, if you want. Yeah. Uh, how do you compare the different contract offerings? So just to um, and just to state what they are, I think uh, as far as we know, and you know, there's always something a little TMZ about uh, baseball rumors, and you know, I love that they are like gossip and mostly not true, <laughs> but you know, some people get really annoyed by this. But if you believe the rumors, it was the uh, Dodgers at four for like 145. I saw 180. Um, I mean, the number varied a lot, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, like, absurdly high uh, dollars per value per year. The Nationals, uh, I'm sorry, not the Nats. The, well, the Nats with the deferred contract, for sure. Um, the Phillies with a 13-year contract, like, we will give you the most money. You will have the most, the highest money value, and we will just blow out the years until we can make that happen. And then the Giants somewhere in the middle, right, with a, like... 10 year 300 contract or something like that. They were actually around 12, I think, 320. But um, let's say they were the baby bear option. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Ben, I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Uh, do you have a sense on how you would value those? Do you, do you feel like those were equivalent? Um, I think it probably depends on how Harper feels like his future is going to unfold. Uh, and I can understand the merits to both of them. So I guess like the bigger point to what I was like thinking about it is like, there's no way to really objectively evaluate them against each other. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think we'll get to this, but this sort of ties into like our thoughts on, how do you set up an auction league for fantasy purposes? Because you think about having players on contracts and trying to figure out how you can balance some of the complexities and realism that you think is what makes auctions compelling uh, against the need to have some sort of um, sanity about it, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, in Harper's case, I think uh, if he feels like the total amount of the contract and perhaps also like, you know, not having to ever go through free agency again, basically uh, probably has some value to him that maybe he can't quantify, but he definitely recognizes. Um, You know, I think it makes complete sense that he would pick an offer like the Phillies over an offer like the Dodgers. But I know that there are tons of professional athletes that would have chosen the offer like the Dodgers because they feel like in the next 
four or five years, they'll still be a productive player and they can still have, uh, you know, another contract after that that'll be maybe not quite as lucrative on an annual average value basis, but certainly uh, lucrative enough that they won't be losing a ton of money compared to, you know, having a guaranteed 13-year deal. Uh, and they might make more money in the long run by getting such a higher annual average value in the sh- in the short term in the next you know handful of years. Um, right. I mean, I guess if we're if we wanted to find in some level that um, the difference between the Dodgers and Phillies contract is like a nine year option for one hundred eighty million or so. Okay. And right, like that's kind of what he is betting against. Right. Um, well, he's basically saying I'd rather not have to renegotiate anything and not have to worry about whether I can get, you know, another nine years worth of uh, baseball contracts later in my life and have them add up to that same amount of money. If we're assuming his goal is to like, maximize how much money he makes right which is another thing obviously it could be that like he has no interest in playing in la that much and he really likes philadelphia or whatever other things are about it no one really likes philadelphia uh i know some people from philadelphia that really like it so they don't they don't though yeah (laughs) okay uh everyone i've ever met from philadelphia um even more than loving philadelphia believes that everybody else hates philadelphia (laughs) so this will really lend well to like that chip on your shoulder persecution complex that i define as like true philadelphian it's almost as much as saying water which is how i pronounce it it's possibly my worst character trait (laughs) (laughs) yes that or the beard that's taking over your face um but right so yeah, I guess, um, you know, and it's something that we've been thinking about, because uh, if you listen to our podcast regularly, which, thank you, um, <laughs> you know that last week we were talking a little bit about auction leagues and um, the concept of, like, adding money to um, to score sheet. Um, and I feel like uh, when we were talking about this offline, one of the biggest challenges we had was like how to fairly measure contracts against one another and just to step back for almost feel like a deal breaker go ahead yeah sorry just to step back for background real quick um in case someone's coming from more roto perspective so normally in a roto league um with auctions you bid on it whoever has the highest uh, bid in the auction wins the player and then if it's a keeper if it's not a keeper league great you get the player if it is a keeper league then there's some set amount that the um Salary goes up by, say, $5 in the first year, $10 in the second, whatever that is. That's just how it goes up. What we're talking about in terms of score sheet and keeper leagues is um, determining how, if you were to bid on a player in terms of contract length and dollar amount, you know, how do you determine, let's say we were in this situation, let's say we were all bidding on Bryce Harper and I bid, you know, 13 years, 330, whatever, and Ian bid four years, 180. How would we know which one this um, Harper in our Roto League would accept? Yeah. Um, and then also, which one is more fun? Yeah. My feeling is that from a neutral party, the Dodgers offer is more fun than the Phillies offer. Hmm. Yeah, I could see more fun for most definitions of fun fits the Dodgers offer. The other thing that was part of the discussion that we were having is like, what sorts of limits do you want to put on these kinds of things? Because... You know, theoretically, having the same player on the same team for 13 years may be less fun for everybody else in some ways. And Right. Which, yeah. And it's one of the is, things that I think makes yeah. the Dodgers offer more fun, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, the concept of salary is appealing in the first place, yeah. where, um, you know, Mike Trout is going to be on an AL-only team for the duration of his career, even if he moves in 2020 and plays center field right next to Bryce Harper um, for another 10 years, he will be 
on one team probably for 20 years yeah. in many leagues. Yeah. Um, and I mean, on the one hand, you could say that that's fun. It's probably very fun for that one owner. It's... <laughs> That's, that's, us. Yeah. that's us. Yeah, we have Mike Trout now. That's us. <laughs> we managed to get him. Join enough uh, leagues, and eventually you too can own Mike Trout. But um, you know, for those people who do not have a chance at him, um, it's really hard to come up with a package where you will get him. Yeah. And um, you know, it just becomes sort of this uh, millstone around the league, I guess. And so it's you know we have to figure out where the value of being able to scout and find Mike Trout is uh, worth it, and then kind of the you know escalate the pressure on keeping him yeah. beyond what Scorchy currently does. I think you've implied it, but it's worth probably explicitly saying. I think we generally find it to be a little bit more fun to have a fairly moderate to high amount of turnover in player ownership in a league. I think there are people that prefer a league that has a little bit less player turnover or even yeah. like is more stagnant um, or what we might describe as stagnant. I think, you know, my personal preference is that teams that win have to be good as often as possible in order to win as often as possible. And that like lucking into Mike Trout one way or the other, either having the first pick when the first draft happens or having been the one that scooped him up um, shouldn't necessarily determine the fate of your team and its uh, chances of winning for two decades. Um, You know, I think it's more interesting to have, you know, and I'll just sort of speak to the auction league that we have now where most of those star players are going to cost so much in salary that nobody ever signs them to long-term deals. So, they change teams every year and every year there's a bidding war for their services and um, you know, different teams win those different players every year and uh, how well the team manages their money during the auction is a huge driving force in who wins the league every year. And I think um, that's part of what makes it fun. Uh, There's also like the other component where outside of the star players, you can pick up uh, rookies or more like, middle level players and you have a chance to extend them for longer and you can build a team that way also. So there's multiple routes to being successful and there's different ways of rewarding that success. Right? It's not just like, um, you know, out drafting somebody once and then uh, keeping the like 13 awesome players you have in perpetuity. Right. Yeah. I think the challenge is really in figuring out how to make the business side of score sheet or any any system this actually isn't really a score sheet problem um just that score sheet has a pretty standard solution for it but any system keeping the business side as interesting as the play side and making it as interesting as real baseball where you kind of have this challenge of four years for 145 or 13 years for 180 uh, for 330 and trying to figure out how long you keep someone and having contention windows and a lot of difficult decisions that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think one of the uh, perhaps challenges of score sheet, especially in season, is figuring out, you know, I feel like there are fewer decision points in score sheet than there are in real life. And I think a game with more decision points is generally a better game. Um, Jared, I'm uh, throw it to you. I, you know, I wonder what you think about this as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with with a lot of what you're saying. I think one problem is that it's hard to think of score sheet or any fantasy league in the terms of 13 years from now. Mm-hmm. I think under the right set of assumptions, if you knew everyone was still going to be in the league for the next 15 years, you could set up contracts that way. Right. But I, I think it, it's harder to just ensure people are going to stick around, and then what happens. You know, if someone signs someone like Harper to a 13-year deal and then you're 10 years down the line and then you have to find a new owner who's saddled with this huge contract for Harper, I think I think that's a potential problem. But I do, I do like the idea just to not defend it a little bit, but I think I like the concept of it's one way to um, – it can be a way to encourage um, – fluidity or as a deterrence at least if you have to sign someone to Harper either a lot of money up front or 
to many number of years in, in, a, in a way where you sort of like there's a way to get someone to keep someone for a while, but you get penalized for it, I guess is what I'm saying. And so for Harper, mm-hmm. under the ideal circumstances, yeah, if we knew everyone was going to be around for 15 years, sure, you could sign him for 13 years. But then the last few years of his contract, it's, it's, it is a millstone. And I think if there's a way to, to incorporate that in some sort of shorter window, so maybe let's say the max window is four years, you could sign any sort of player. But if you sign someone for four years, you've got to pay them a lot more money or something. Like, let's say, a designated player veteran exception. And then you pay your player $45 million a year, and then they tear their hamstring, and then you have to rely on Bradley Beal, and let's say your team is um, <laughs> completely <laughs> capped out and destroyed, and the NCI center is empty. Just, that, you know. That's an oddly specific theoretical. <laughs> I'm impressed you're able to come up with that. Just to, to pull something completely out of the ether. I, I forget what the... <laughs> buildings called these days anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah no I mean I think part of that is that I do think basketball really really has nailed um, perhaps through accident perhaps through manipulation of its star talent and uh, or decisions made by their star talent um, you know it, like we've said the players kind of have uh, a lot more agency in exchange for giving up some of their salary. Um, but what that's led to is a lot of short-term contracts and um, a lot of uh, player movement where teams could be deeply, deeply screwed, like, let's say, the Washington Wizards. Again, to pull a team completely <laughs> at random, but only for a short time, right? There's no team that is um, going to be hopeless for a decade. Mm. Unless they have poor ownership, like the Washington Wizards, um, but you know that there's no decision that can't be overcome. But it does put you in Dutch if you make a really bad one. And that's, I think, what I'm like, or what I'd be looking for in a league where there are these sort of ramifications, but it's not the end of the world. You can get over them at some point, but it, it will hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also, right, the converse. If you do find Mike Trout, and you do draft him, um, you know, in the end of the first round, and he blossoms into the best player in the game, you should get something for that. You should get value for it. And you yeah. mean above and beyond having the best player in the game on your team? Yes. Um, above and be right. Above and beyond that, the ability to have gotten him for less. For less. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we're all prospect towns. We don't want to get rid of that. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> right. Well, there are some leagues there, and there are some leagues that are, we're in where um, the kind of prospect system has been um, mostly crippled. And certainly, there are one-year leagues where it doesn't matter at all. And I don't think we're as big fans of that format uh, in general. But it's cool that some people are. I'm fine that it exists as an option. I don't think we're saying get rid of it. But yeah, and you know, we've been told to talk more about one-year leagues. Um, <laughs> So but it, well, it's an interesting concept. Though. Yeah, go ahead. So I think the league that we're in that's closest to a one-year league that's not an auction league is Murphy, which is a soft eight with one keeper slot, right? Yeah. And it didn't always have the one keeper slot. And I think, based on what I know of the league's history, it was designed the way that it is because the people that started it wanted it to have a lot of turnover and wanted it to be, you know, if there's a spectrum from... Uh, everybody has the same 35 players every year to uh, everybody redrafts their whole team every year. Obviously, it's closer to the latter end of that spectrum, right? It's not exactly a one-year league, but it's it's going to let you maintain sort of a core without um, losing some of your very best players, but it's going to require you to draft well every year if you're going to win in that year. Um, there's also some other weird rules about limiting the number of picks somebody can own, which is overly draconian, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, honestly, like my personal tastes, uh, I like that league's format and structure better than the other ones that we're in, I think. Um, and, you know, we're in another league that's a soft 10 with unlimited rookies starting from the bottom, and I think that makes it a little bit too cheap to keep rookies. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't always feel that way, but, uh, you know, the more that... The more that I played and the more that I saw teams sort of hoard rookies as part of 
rebuilding and end up um, sort of shifting what I wanted to see from like risk reward uh, calculation. I think like there's not enough cost involved in keeping a rookie with around 35 pick um, to like accurately force people into tough decisions. Uh, right. And I think, I, I think in general, the issue we have with standard leagues is that um, there are some decision points, but it's mostly around keeping somebody with a protection pick, which is a little too cheap or a 35th rounder, which is a lot too cheap. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I don't really like the hard protection leagues at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which is the the type of league that I think the preponderance of score sheet players. Yeah, play that's in. the standard rule set. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it you know it's interesting. And uh, again, um, we probably do want to uh, wrap this up at some point. But I think that's a thing that we're going to be talking about over and over again, especially into the season. So be thrilled as we circle around this point uh, for a long time to come. But I think, um, you know, we're definitely interested in your thoughts as to this. Um, you, the listener, not you, my co-host, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> not interested in those thoughts. I've heard those all the time. Um, but, you know, I think we're going to be really um, wanting to hone in on uh, understanding what makes for a good game, uh, whether score sheet or otherwise. Um so, and I think if you are interested in one-year league discussions, uh, you can join us next week, where we will uh, probably be breaking down the uh, Dwayne Murphy draft. I'll believe it when I see it at this point. <laughs> uh, well, we'll either be breaking down the draft or just breaking down. <clears throat> either way, you are probably going to want to tune in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Um, you know, we have that to look forward to. Until then, um, uh, and what's the best thing you saw this week? Um, so I have not been consuming much in the way of media and such, and I sort of mm, remarked on this uh, last week or maybe it was the week before that, like, every week the best thing that I saw has something to do with my daughter, but that's going to get old to everybody. So instead, this week I'm going to mention a book that I just finished reading that I'm sure everybody else that's more cultured and literate than I am has already heard of and possibly read. Uh, it's called The Fifth Season. Um, it's actually the first book in a trilogy, and I'm already like halfway through the second book in the trilogy, and I thought it was awesome. So if you're into fantasy books or uh, I think like interesting, thought-provoking, new concept types of things in your fantasy, then I would recommend it. It's interesting. I have not heard of it. Um, oh. It's not a home genre of mine. So uh, if you want to pitch it to me in a line... Um... Um, what is there something that compels you about it that hopefully doesn't give everything away? Yeah. Uh, let me think about it. Go to Jared. Come back to me <laughs> before you finish with yours. Okay. Um, I'll actually go next because, Jared, it sounds like you had a good thing you saw this week. <laughs> I'm getting the feeling. Um, the best thing I saw this week was uh, actual baseball. What? It was really nice. Baseball. I know. I know. I've so far I've watched um, about half the teams play, so it's lot. really exciting. Um, I want to I want to try to get the other half in by next week. This is so the first week of spring training. I I happen to like the second week of spring training the most of all uh, <laughs> all the spring training weeks. So <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to this week. Yeah, right. You're laughing because you you don't understand. Yeah, so, it's not just that I don't understand, it's that like the statement on his face is kind of preposterous. It's not like, I don't know. Maybe it's, is it like the NFL preseason where like nobody plays in the fourth week, so nobody likes that week? Yeah, exactly. So, okay. uh, as I'm sure everyone knows, uh, the spring training has a little routine to it. So the first week, um, you get uh, pitchers going through two innings. So you get a lot of um, one to two inning stars. So you see a number of pitchers. Um, the first week is really good if you want to see, let's say, the top prospects who are in single A or double A. Uh, sometimes they'll be called up and, um, you know, they usually get sent down in the first round of cuts. So, you know, I've been able to see a number of um, 
last year's uh, last year's draftees. You know, I saw Nick Madrigal. I saw Adam Hazley uh, recently. Um, but you know, next week you get to see the starting pitchers go to three to four innings, which I like a little more because you just get a little more time with them. Uh, and you still get a lot of the top prospects, so you can see um, some of the stars. And then once the top prospects start going down, um, you see the actual team start playing a little more, which is a little less interesting because then it becomes, um, you know, players who you're about to see for the whole season. Although you'll start to see more of the, let's say, lower level players worked in. So sometimes you'll see really exciting uh, A-ball and younger prospects around. Um, and then the fourth week is uh, pretty dismal. And then uh, usually the last week uh, they'll be playing in other parks, which can sometimes be exciting if it's an unusual setting. Um, yeah, but that's baseball. So the one thing I forgot about with baseball that I forget every year. Um, so announcers are terrible. <laughs> and I just want to talk about this for a second because – you know, when we're talking about, like, the pace of play and, um, you know, how to make baseball more exciting, a modest proposal, fire everybody. Fire all the announcers, because this is the problem. The problem is that 85% of the announcers are boring. And these are, like, basically lifetime jobs. You are like the Pope. <laughs> if you get a job and everybody has been in the office for like 20 years and have nothing left to say and weren't very interesting in the first place and can't speak to the modern game. You know, it's in, it's so fascinating because like you see this article that went around like uh, the Mike Petriello article from last week about uh, Edgertronic and Rapsodo, mm -hmm. um, which is fascinating. If anyone has missed that, 100% read that article right away. Um, and it's about the future of the game. And about how all of these players are um, taking to it and how it's in all 30 stadia. Um, and then, you know, and like really revolutionary things that are, uh, whether you like it or not, it's like the future of baseball and it's the most interesting thing about baseball and you have to understand it. And then you listen to like John Cruck and you're like, you know, kids today, and it, you're like, what is the point of this? You know, they don't understand the way the game is being played because it has changed under their feet and they are not compelling and they are not diverse and they are not speaking to the generation that you ostensibly want to reach. And so, you know, this is turning into golf. I don't get it. It's a genuine problem. And I don't know how to fix it because it's a collective action problem because it's 30 separate teams and all they want are like glad handing um, baby boomers who we remember from the 1980s to talk about their teams. And they're, you know, you can't get rid of them. Maybe the answer is alternate broadcasts. I don't know. But uh, I think there is a genuine problem with the way the game is being presented that is dearly targeted at the announcer booth. Fire all the announcers. I'm not a crackpot. Okay. Meanwhile. That's an interesting point because, I mean, that's how most people, when they're consuming baseball, they're listening to the broadcasters and consciously or not. I mean, they seem, stands to reason, they'll absorb some of what they're saying. Yeah. And the, I mean, a lot of the problem is, you know, I can say this in the abstract and you're like, yeah, we're going to burn the bridge. And then I would talk about your announcer and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's the thing I'm used to. But, um, you know, I get it. But I do think it's a barrier to new people listening. I do think it's an embarrassment that, as far as I know, there is... Um, I, I can think of, is it two announcers of color on a Major League Broadcasts? At least at least play-by-play -play is Dave Sims and sometimes Jose Mota. And I think that's it. It's an embarrassment. It's not great. Um, and, uh, you know... It's par for the course. Yeah. And, obviously, it's like... It's not one person making 30 decisions, so you can't make it uh, diverse that way. It's 30 teams making one decision 15 years ago. But you just see how out of... Um, just out of time uh, everybody is. 
is like it's just people literally talking from another era and then you see the like jason benetti and joe block and um yeah who, who is it in uh is it eric Holland, uh the dodger you know these younger generation and they are just so much better at broadcasting than the generation above them and even some of the players who are younger just you know it it's I, I think it is a real I think it is the biggest barrier to making games more interesting and the um, the fact that that can't be acknowledged is kind of um, you know a shame but I you know put in a pitch clock that's fine too <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have something about this book if you're done with your announcers yeah go ahead so I'm just going to read you the little blurb that's on Amazon, and then I'm going to um, add one sentiment of my own. So it says, <clears throat> At the end of the world, a woman must hide her secret power and find her kidnapped daughter in this intricate and extraordinary Hugo Award-winning novel of power, oppression, and revolution. Um, and so I would say that, like, it is strictly fantasy in the sense that, like, the things that are happening are um, made up, but it's directly relatable in a way that, all powerful books are that like tells a story about um, how people interact with each other and um, sort of allows you to enjoy the plot while also appreciating the literary technique that goes into it. Um, and so I think even if you're not like a huge fan of fantasy, you would see value in it. Uh, and if you do enjoy fantasy, then I think um, you'd definitely enjoy like the conceptual underpinnings that make it um, categorized as fantasy. The fifth season. Oh, I... It's by N.K. Jemison. Je uh, I'm not sure oh, if I'm saying yeah. her last name right, but um, yeah, apparently she's great. I don't read enough, so I, you know I'm trying to read more. Um, and one of my friends recommended this book, and and I recommend it to everybody else. Okay, I, I that is a ringing endorsement. I will definitely uh, add that to the all overdrive. Um, okay, uh, so Jared, what is the best thing you saw this week? Uh, we're running short on time. I uh, so it's been a weird week. I was sick for a lot of it, and I guess and we're recording at a weird time. So like the Oscars were technically this week. Also the that's true Spirit Awards. I don't know if we need to get into a rehash of all those. I dearly hope the Oscars were not the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, MLS season kicks off as we're speaking. The first game's already finished. I think the best thing I saw this week was the Twitter feud between Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. Okay. <laughs> okay, I am I am excited by this. Uh, I, I, I think. Um, right. Well, I, as far as I know from the outside, uh, Becky Lynch, who I am somewhat familiar with, is great at Twitter. Yes. Ronda Rousey is terrible at it, right? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> go ahead. And well, let me clarify. I I wouldn't really, I guess, get to getting back to fandom. I don't know if I would consider myself a WWE fan necessarily. Certainly, people who are into it probably would not. I've never seen an event in person, although I'd like to. I follow it sort of tangentially. Follow some blogs, um, but I think what I like, well, there's a few things I like about it. But what I like most is the point at which it's unclear what's. Um, uh, I mean, in in I guess their parlance, work versus shoots. Like, what is real and what is written and like there's always a fine line between what's what people are actually saying or thinking and what the writing is and i don't know like that that sort of line between the two is i find fascinating and i think mm -hmm. wrestling often does a good job when they're telling i think like when wrestling tells stories well that's one of the things they do really they do really well it's sort of this fine line of not really knowing what's real or not um and so anyway i don't, I don't want to get into the whole backstory of what they're feuding about and why but it it and I don't know Twitter at all either, so really I'm the last person who's speaking to this. But I think it's it's been a really fascinating uh, feud to follow in terms of it, some of them are saying things that you don't normally say, is my understanding, as a um, wrestler. And also, Becky Lynch managed to work in the room, like Tommy Wiseau, who then chimed in on Twitter and sort of... Uh, did, like, a, uh, inserted Ronda Rousey into the disaster artist. Like, it was just kind of insane that everything that was going on so i really enjoyed it and i don't um, know if that comes across the podcast but that's uh is is bringing the room into your twitter feed the equivalent of like having a chair 
like right next to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> what it, is that? Is that Tommy Wiseau's music? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I will say, as somebody who is, I would say, even more tangentially uh, interested in WWE, I, I try to know who the people are, but don't know much more than that. Um, uh, Peggy Lynch seems like a delight. Oh, she's so much fun. I highly recommend her. Yeah. Uh, she seems great. And I feel like, uh, uh, yeah, like Ronda Rousey seems great. I, I'm just um, really thrilled that WWE, like genuinely the most interesting thing going on is the women's division <laughs> right now. I, like, I, I would tend to agree. Yeah. Five miles. And like, and right. And it's not even a question of like, oh, you know, is it, yeah, quality. It's just like no. It, you you watch the show. And you're like, oh yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's always such a surprise when somebody is actually funny and a good performer there, and not like a written funny. Yeah, um, it's true. But I mean, if you think about some of the performers who've come out of WWE, like, yeah, The Rock is. I mean, the most genuinely electric. funny. Yeah, he's The Rock is great. John Cena is kind of hilarious. Dave Bautista is, I mean, great in the action movies, and he wants to be a serious actor, and I think in a lot of ways he is. I mean, I recommend Bushwick if anyone... Like, yeah, I think I think it's a mistake to underestimate what they're doing there. Yeah. Um, all right. Not that, so all, I, not that all of them are great actors, necessarily, but... So I will check that out, and then read the fifth season, yeah. and really get a nice, like, high-low culture uh, <laughs> while, while pressing the part feed on MLB TV. <laughs> there you go tying it all together alright join us next week for one podcast maybe two um, we uh, yeah we'll be at the weekend time for a little bit um, but we look forward to talking to you again soon uh, but until then on behalf of Ben Murphy and Jared Weiss I'm Ian Lefkowitz thanks again and have a great day <laughs>